Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Working That Is Not Chronicle. My name is Bill, and I will be your guide on this particular Sonic adventure. The show is, of course, sponsored by mysticalwares.com. Derek and one other Chrononaut is with me uh, this evening. We will hear from them in just a moment. But to give you a brief overview of what we will be doing in this show, we do like to start things off by uh, taking a look at the Old Farmer's Almanac just to see what uh, upcoming celestial events are, are going to be uh, in our, our experiential field this coming week. And if, if there's any energies that we want to capitalize with and work with and uh, just to be aware of those things because that's that's always good increasing your awareness right and then after that we move into the gratitude segment which is a uh, the goal here is to perpetuate the heart brain coherence to uh, more than this is more than just a once a week exercise right the point is to kind of uh, make this a habit right so we built it into the show and in, in the beginning because you can never have too much gratitude and then we do have a recently renamed silver segment which was just called the second segment for a while so or no it was new business sorry but uh, yeah we uh, we rebranded it to be the silver segment and the goal here is to learn something new and this does include current events because this, uh, this provides context for for the uh, realm in which we find ourselves and uh, a secondary goal is to kind of look for the silver lining in in these events, these signs of times, if you want to call it like that. And uh, I did come up with a new name for the third segment, because the third segment was just the third segment. And uh, I think we're going to go with sword segment. And the reasoning behind this is swords uh, is in tarot is, is uh, correlated to air, right? And this is about thinking. And so we're using words, swords and words, right? You can kind of switch around the letters and make, make two different words, right? And just like a sword, old, at least a double-edged sword, sword. I'm getting tongue-tied here. I knew this was going to happen. Uh, words can be both helpful or harmful, right? So we can use them to uplift ourselves or others, or we can use them to put, put, put other people down. But that's not what we're here about. Uh, we're, we're about here. Uh, the point is to uh, to give you some empowerment, right? So we will be hearing from uh, Neville Goddard this episode. Uh, I picked out a chapter from his 1952 The Power of Awareness book. So back to the awareness thing, and that is about desire. So before we get into that good stuff, though, because I love Neville, uh, taking a look at the Farmer's Almanac, really not a whole lot going on this week. <laughs> Uh, on Wednesday, we do have Venus and Mercury conjunct, so that's that's exciting, and uh, that's pretty much it. So not a whole lot happening, at least according to the old Farmer's Almanac. But interesting side note: today actually is the anniversary of Marvin the Martian debuting in 1948. So happy birthday, Marvin! Which brings us to our our gratitude segment, and I'm going to adam did you have a comment on marvin i saw you unmuted you yeah i was just saying i love marvin who doesn't love marvin the martian is that where the little green man whole thing started is that where we got that from is it bugs bunny's fault oh that's a good question i'm not sure where the little green man came from you think i would know that there was one in um fred flintstone as well if you guys remember that one kazoo or kazoo, yep, kazoo. oh 
Isn't that odd? The caveman has a friend E.T. or yeah, Martian. Interesting. Yeah, I, I completely forgot about that guy until you just mentioned him. He's a weird looking. He's got like a round, roundish shape head with the one antenna coming out. I could Google this, but yeah. Well, you know, for our generation, well, I should say my generation and going back, Derek, you might be still on the Flintstones end, but uh, uh, probably anybody forty and uh, under would only be exposed through vitamins. <laughs> hey, I watched that. I watched that growing up. Well, Land of the Lost, you guys remember that? Because they have the reptile ETs in there. Mm-hmm. Remember that? Yeah. That's yeah, a... yeah. I didn't get on Land of the Lost, but I strangely got on Land of the Giants, another amazing sci-fi show. I know that one. That actually... Oh, yeah. It, w- it was great. It was uh, people uh, essentially uh, getting stranded on a planet full of giants, and they're tiny. So all the props. Wow. Yeah, very, very cool. Thank God for the sci-fi channel. That kind of ties into one of our uh, silver news segments about giant sloths and and coexisting with humans, but jumping ahead of ourselves. I will I'll kick us off on the gratitude segment, and uh, this this is a uh, moon. The moon. The moon is my gratitude for today. Today is Monday. We do the show on Mondays. Uh, we have the silver segment tying in the. Uh, metal that correlates to the moon so we're doing some moon alchemy here right so i i decided i heard that phrase recently somewhere on a on a podcast i don't remember which one because i listened to a lot of them but uh so i typed i typed in lunar or moon alchemy on into google and i found a very interesting book and a very apropos uh, little description about moon alchemy and uh, I'll get to the author's name in just a moment, but the little excerpt about what lunar, he calls it lunar alchemy, right? Moon, lunar. Uh, lunar alchemy is a journey of exploration into the interior, a journey that will take you to meet your inner being. And once there, embrace it with all the love that both of you, you and your inner self, deserve to receive. So I thought that was pretty, pretty fitting for this show. And the moon does have uh you know a lot of energetic effects on us not only the tides but uh menstrual cycles and and whatnot and the uh the author of the book i mentioned lunar alchemy is shaheen miro have you heard of him derek he's a uh, another energetic intuitive worker is it oh i'll have to drop that can you spell that uh yeah it is s h a h e e n m i r o. I'll have to look into that one. And yeah, so I ordered I ordered his book today, <laughs> and uh, he he does have a little uh, blog post on pathios.com. Well, somebody wrote a blog post about lunar alchemy for his book, and it sailed very quickly. It's it's not that long, but uh, imagine a velvety black sky above you, encrusted with diamond stars. Night after night, you notice a sliver of light grow, growing in the sky. Where there was nothing, a crescent has formed. Each passing night, the crescent of light grows larger, rounder, and fuller, growing until the whole night sky is lit with a silver mirror cascading light over shadows and pulling the tides. The moon is a powerful metaphor for transformation and growth. You know what? I'll put this into the chat here. Maybe guys. She shows us 
how to embody our own energetic evolution and step into our magic. Lunar alchemy engages the inner oracle, your wisest self that speaks the language of metaphor and knows beyond words or explanation. What the moon will teach you will challenge your intellect and awaken your lunar self. Since ancient times, people have felt called to the moon. Some would track time by her light, knowing that her cycle lasted for 29.5 days. With keen intuitive knowledge, with keen intuitive knowing and observation, they witnessed her influence over nature, the growth of crops, the behavior of animals, the fecundity of menstruation, and the pull of the tides. And as we are all part of the web of nature, the moon exerts her profound influence over us. She literally pulls our internal tides. Each step you take during your exploration of the moon is an invitation to discover your own magic. The moon reflects you. You reflect the moon. There is no separation. Go forward with subtle perception. You can't think You can't think your way through the moonlight. You have to feel yourself forward. A key component to moon magic and all natural magic is intuition and feeling. There is a time and place for logic. That part of us is ruled by the sun. And just as the sun and moon are in right relationship with another, our logic and intuition are also two sides of the same coin. Lunar alchemy is a return to the lunar self, the part of you that dreams, feels, imagines, and stirs. And uh, there's a little bit more, but yeah, that pretty much illustrates the uh, the idea behind moon alchemy or lunar alchemy. And I just thought it was pretty fitting for the show. And I was looking at the moon last night, so it just seemed appropriate. And any uh, any any comments on the moon? We do have two moon stories to get to. This is going to be a very moon heavy episode. So uh, I like the term they used uh, as subtle perceptions in there too. Um, I think that was how it was worded, as far as feeling the you know receiving the different interviews and whatnot. So oh, it was yeah. just. I just I hadn't heard that before, so I thought that's kind of clued into that. I'm like I may have to borrow that. Oh yeah, I'm borrowing hardcore from this guy. I haven't read his book yet. I'm talking about him on the show. <laughs> yeah, it seems like good stuff. Uh, Derek, did you have a uh, specific gratitude, or we can jump to Adam? Either or. Um. Yeah, I can jump in. Uh, and it, there's always gonna be a slight pause. I'll just mention that for not just you guys. But for the listeners as well with me because i am broad we're we're broadcasting this live as well i know this will be more often listened to after the fact but it is live and because of that i have two microphone buttons i have to click to to be heard or not heard so just want to kind of explain why there's a pause or sometimes uh, my gratitude i want to i want to mention is kind of what well, kind of an obvious one or easy one but it's, it's something that occurred and i usually go when i come up with these um because i'm thinking about it the last minute to totally be honest because I'm I'm so busy but it's from what I just happened and so gratitude would be um for good friends um of course I had one here today visit me um and also be begged for a lot of reasons but and he actually gifted me a which is sitting right here next to me a, a wooden pendulum um and we chatted a little bit about it with and it's actually shaped to a bio um uh, geometry so the pendulum I wish I had a image to share but i don't but it is cut or it looks like it was probably on a little mini lathe um to hold certain biogeometry shapes um and so before i even opened this thing it was i could feel the energy coming off it was just moving energy well would be one way of putting it um, but i just really appreciate again bringing it back to friends and um how they will sometimes spontaneously just show up with stuff like this or say the right thing to you 
um, whatever it might be. So, no, I appreciate, uh, you know, when people go out of their way and with good intentions like that. A, uh, a nice, you know, little note in the mail or a little gift that's unexpected can go a long way, right? Yeah, exactly. And I did notice that you had, speaking of, of gifts and items and whatnot, you've done a lot of updates to the website recently. I know that there's a, you have an auction running now and uh, a few other things like Shungite sticks. Did you want to take a moment and kind of uh maybe pick out a few things that you've been working on that you want to sh share with everybody um yeah i mean i can go real quickly and just just like you said we've done some updates so it's a lot easier to navigate now it's a lot more graphics so and i'm big on the science i know i'm a, a woo woo kind of guy into the metaphysical stuff is is a lot of us are um but i'm also science oriented meaning so then on our new shungai science page i've added another seven studies today and these aren't things I'm I'm doing at my house myself and reporting back. I do do that as well. And that'll tie in in something in just a moment. But I re-upload or republish a lot of these studies where they're using Shungite in all these different arenas or areas with great benefit. A lot of it in plants, which is the other thing. The, the new item are the Shungite plant spikes. So just think a plant fertilizer spike that you've that have been around for probably decades. I've got a new version of it with Shungite powder. Um and I didn't invent any of this stuff, even the spike, of course, but or the use of the Shungai powder. What I put together was the overall recipe. So I have a biodegradable straw that turns into soil. I literally have to hand pack each of these things and then seal them with organic beeswax. And basically you poke them in the ground next to your plant or tree or garden or whatever you're doing. And then that, and again, this has all been scientifically shown as well. And I didn't know that when I first got into this. And your plants are just going to go just crazy growth um i've had them go up to 10 times the amount of another plant and i'm actually doing that now at home i went out and bought six plants well three sets of two of as like similar sizes as i can get i took photos and i put the plant spikes in here probably a week ago and they're already responding um so i'm doing in my view fun things like that too so actually that can be a gratitude um just on doing that's fun for me um you know figuring this stuff out and testing it and seeing how it goes so yeah that's those are the shungai plant spikes one of the new items now do you have to bury the whole thing in the earth or is it just like sticking you know a few inches down and then the rest of it's above ground no i'd stick the whole thing in there um and so just basically you know take a pen or pencil your finger poke it in the ground a couple inches from the stalk of whatever you're putting it by and they're about three inches long so i cut a normal straw into thirds and then again after i pack these i i cut them and dip them and um, you can poke little holes in them. I include a small nail. It's all described on the website. I'm just trying not to, you know, take up too much time here on that. Um, but yeah, no, you put them in and this, and then they'll grow just hugely um, compared to your other plants that don't have shungite. And they've shown because it has this mineral, that mineral, and this, and they, so they've shown it on the 3D level. But on the energetic level, well, that's a legit thing as well. That's why so many chiropractors around here are using it um and, and just coming in and but literally buying it by the fistful i had one come in yesterday relatively famous one and That's he awesome. buys right pendants just literally digs through my whole pile of them finds his special ones and oh yeah he's not the only one so it's a lot of fun for me to see all that especially when you know that's the science well some of our strip scientists and doctors get involved yeah anything i'm probably going to 
pick up uh, at least a few of those because anything to help plant growth I, I am all about in my area i don't get a whole lot of sun i'm in the woods and it's michigan so it's cold most of the year so the, the season is very very short and i haven't been having very much luck with my hobby garden or our hobby our hobby hobby garden this year so yeah definitely going to uh, put that on my wish list soon adam did you have a uh first of all thank you for being here and uh what are you grateful for? Yeah, I I am grateful that we live in a system where um, I think I might have mentioned this the last time um, or not the last time we were on the show, but as a previous gratitude. Um, but even if you have insurance, um, look around and think about paying cash for going into places because you may find that it is a lot cheaper. Um, I just had to get an ultrasound done and it was only $155, um, which is not what I was expecting because the last time I had to get one of those, it was, you know, well over a thousand dollars, uh, with insurance. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's one of those things to realize that there are some scams around you and, you know, as a consumer, if you go directly to, um, the person offering the service, you, you might actually get a, a decent deal. And I'm grateful yeah. for that, at least for that knowledge, because, you know, before I was paying into a system that was just bilking me. Yeah, now I've got another gratitude from what you just said, because I didn't know that. So I actually appreciate you saying that. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, many months ago, I got a chest x-ray and it was 50 bucks. Like, uh, I consider that to be incredibly reasonable. The cost of a steak, okay. See inside my body, works for me. Yeah, using cash is, is becoming more important, especially as we move towards, I just heard a, a news story, I didn't have it prepared for this episode, but Russia is introducing a digital rupee or rupal, whatever their their version of money is over there. So that's that's kind of interesting. But yeah, definitely uh, cash is important. Use it to go to your farmer's market, pay cash. Um, there's some contractors I have discovered which will take cash and give you a little discount too. So. Uh, interesting to see the juxtaposition of that we still have cash for now, right? And then, well, and think about this longer. when with with the uh, the way the medical system is, you've got a hospital or a doctor, and then you've got the insurance company, and then you've got the people offering the services, the drugs, the everything else, and they've negotiated prices. They're negotiating against each other, and then you are required to pay, depending on your insurance, a percentage of that fee into the system. And once you take all of that out of it, um, and the doctor doesn't have to negotiate and go against the insurance company, they're already going to be getting less. Um, but they take all that work out and you can pay them directly. So there are a lot of doctors that do that. I pay my physician uh, for the same thing too. Uh, I think it was like 75 bucks for me to, uh, to go see her to get a referral. So uh, to me, that is amazing. Even if you haven't, and I got into a conversation with her too. Um, because she was talking about the place that I got and how great they were um, for, for how good they are. And I mentioned the thing about the cost and the money and how I thought that was funny because my friend had gotten an x-ray and it was way more than that with his insurance. She's like, oh yeah. She's like, I use them and I use my, uh, she's like, I just pay cash all the time. And she's like, and I have really good insurance. I was like, so that's the scam, huh? Right. Which I know. And she just smiles and nods. So, you know, I'm glad I'm, I'm grateful. I have a doctor that is uh, willing to admit and not hide from that evil aspect of the system 
That is good. It's a nice uh, breath of fresh air. So that uh, that pretty much concludes the gratitude segment. That uh, this was actually a holdover. Fun fact uh, from Thirteen Questions. Adam and I did that show for a number of years, and I started the segment uh, just kind of to try to add continuity to a uh, interview based show with somebody different every time and brought it over here so yeah this is uh the goal is to perpetuate our heart and brain coherence and we can be grateful about anything uh, it can be something big or small just as long as uh, it gets your heart and mind moving in the same direction so just a little exercise we do weekly and it makes a nice little segment speaking of segments this does bring us to the new silver segment so uh our our first i did say it was going to be moon heavy moon heavy episode our first uh, story has to deal with the man in the moon and it being uh, a little older than we originally thought i put the link in the chat for you guys this is from livescience.com the man in the moon may be hundreds of millions of years older than we thought so before we get into this, another uh, reason I picked the moon for my gratitude is it is super. It's a super interesting topic. It's uh, all the craters are the same depth, right? Uh, they differ in width, right? But they're they're all the same depth, and it's hollow. It rings like a bell. That's uh, is proven. This isn't any anything too far out there. You know, I had a quick little Google search can confirm these things. At least last time I checked, right? And it's always facing us. It is. And that man, he's always looking at us. That's the only object known that does that, by the way. This mm-hmm. stays perfect. And it is spinning, of course. It just stays, but yet spins and holds the same um, percentages to stay facing us exactly, always. Yeah, that's pretty mysterious. It's almost like a, by design, or maybe it's some kind of giant ship or something. Who knows? But according, according to, somebody knows, right? Somebody knows. I have Listen, some suspicions. At very least, it is incredibly integral for the way that life cycles work on this planet. The moon phase and the ebb and flow of the tides is incredibly important to the cycle that we have here. So, yeah, make of that what you will. It's in perfect position and it doesn't move. A little creepy, but maybe that's why it intrigues me so much. The article says part of the moon's surface, part of the moon's surface, is much older than experts previously thought, with many of the craters pockmarking the iconic man in the moon, predating the landform by hundreds of millions of years, new research finds. The moon itself is just over 4.5 billion years old. Where do they get for that number? I don't know. It formed when a huge asteroid or planetary body slammed into the young Earth, throwing chunks of rock and dust into orbit. However, determining the age of the lunar surface has been tricky a various, as various methods return different results. One method, crater counting, involves simply tallying up the number of impacts on the lunar surface and estimating how long it would take to cure all those scars. The moon lacks the erosion of plate tectonics that erase craters on Earth, so the surface stays relatively unchanged over millennia. 
but crater counting doesn't always correspond with the dating results that scientists get from directly studying moon rocks returned by the crewed Apollo missions to the moon. Now researchers have painstakingly correlated the dating results from moon rock samples with the sites from which they were collected, effectively correcting the errors between the two methods. What we have done is to show that large portions of the lunar crust are around 200 million years older than had been thought. Study researcher Stephanie Warner, a geologist at University of Oslo's Center for Planetary Habit Habitability, said in a statement. That's an interesting center or you know, college department, planetary habitability. I go study that. The researcher, which the authors presented this week at the Goldschmidt Geochemistry Conference in France, has been accepted for publication in the Planetary Science Journal. The researchers examined samples returned from the lunar surface by the Apollo, Luna, and Chang'e missions, and then tallied the craters around the sites where these rocks were originally found in order to properly correlate the ages. Then, they generalized that information across the lunar surface to get better age estimates of areas where the only information comes from crater count, not rock samples. One area that was older than expected was the Mare Imbrium. This crater, now filled with smooth lava flows, makes up the right eye of the man in the moon. Instead of being 3.9 billion years old, this crater dates back to 4.1 billion years old. This is an important difference, Werner said. It allows us to push back in time an intense period of bombardment from space, which we now look, which we know took place before extensive volcanic activity that formed the man in the moon patterns. As this happened on the moon, the Earth was almost certain to have also suffered this earlier bombardment, too. That's pretty much the end of the, of the uh, article there. Uh, it does say that this, this research could help scientists pinpoint the ge geology that may have set the stage for the rise of life on Earth, and perhaps on Mars. Uh, Audrey who's an experimental paleontologist at a university in Germany, said in a statement. Such a heavy bombardment period must have affected the origin and early evolution of life on Earth and potentially other planets such as Mars, Audrey said, who was not involved in the study. Bringing back, continuing, bringing back rock samples from Jezero Crater on Mars will be the next giant leap forward to search for signs of ancient life on another planet in the solar system and that's that's the end so first of all initial thoughts because i do i think i found a contradiction within the article but i will uh, hold off for a moment if anybody has any comments i think they're talking around a lot of things there and of course i guess they have to yeah um, yeah seeing the realm they're in i've glanced at the moon before oh yeah there's a lot more going on there than acknowledged i don't know how much uh insight adam has on that yeah no i'm in the same boat it's a weird place with mysterious uh lights a dark side you know so I, look there's a lot of weird things the fact that we've taken really high resolution images of the moon and the original moon re images have not been released to the public i don't know why we pay for nasa you know um little little things like that i it's a mysterious place i think they're 
is a lot of mysteries there. It seems very strange that we went there and decided not to go back. Um, I'm convinced that uh, we have and do. You know, we've got a secret space program, secret, you know, quote unquote, um, that's known about, you know, the X, uh, X7B or whatever it is, you know, that, that goes flying around disappearing for, you know, 800 plus days at a time doing who knows what. And that's the stuff we're known to know about. So, yeah, I'm I'm eternally fascinated by the moon and for all the reasons you mentioned, Bill. Um, but I do think of it weird in the way that let's think of. I don't know, let's say that catastrophism is a cyclical cycle and many civilizations over many eons have risen and fallen on this earth. Um, maybe. There was a nearby refuge. There was a place where you could go that was, you know, a battleship that was hardened, that had a surface that was built of rock to be able to survive this so that while the earth gets bombarded and destroyed, this thing facing one side, one side only, you know, I, I don't know. It, it just seems like an interesting place. Super interesting. Speaking of rocks, though, I've heard that the some of these samples that were gifted out to other countries were later tested and they weren't from the moon that was petrified wood yep that happened and i've also heard another story about the moon rocks growing getting bigger when they got back to earth and this this comes it was just a very off like one-lined mention in doug boyd's rolling thunder which is about a shoshone medicine man and they were talking about the moon. It's been a while since I read the book. Great book, by the way. But uh, he mentioned something about the, the moon rocks expanding or like growing, getting bigger, which I had never heard of before. But yeah, uh, speaking of, of rocks, though, uh, the, the contradiction, it says that uh, the moon does not have, it says the moon lacks the erosion and plate tectonics that erase craters on Earth. So to my understanding is that you have to have plate tectonics to have volcanoes, right? Well, this Warner person says that uh, it allows, this, this whole story allows us to push back in time an intense period of bombardment from space, which we may now know, which we now know took place before extensive volcanic activity that formed the main and the moon patterns. So at one point, we're, if, unless I'm mistaken, right, but at one point, we're saying we're, we've been told that the moon has no volcanoes, right? And then we're being told that volcanoes created man and the moon. Is that that, that I don't know? That just strikes me as odd. Yeah, I agree. Um, I don't, you know, I know a lot of people use energy, and I'm one of them that uses energies or frequencies. Um, for different things and different ways. Um, I'll just say I'm not a fan of using any energies or frequencies from the moon um, from my perspective. Again, so I can guess say it's like a, it's a buffet of stuff out there. It's something I'm not drawn to. I'm actually kind of pushed away from um, those energies that come from there. So there's, I'd put some artificial ones so I can be blunt on that too. Is I know there's that. Um, some some of it's been so I'll, I'll, from my perspective it's uh let's call it a radio because i have to describe this somehow and i don't have the other terms um a radio station with a bunch of songs i'm not a fan of that are out of alignment with me would be another way of saying that 
Um, so I don't bring my rocks and crystals and things out there. And, and I'm, I know I'm going to offend a whole lot of people by saying that. Um, but that's my perspective. So I have heard that the, I've heard the Pleiades being described as, as having a, a sweet harmony to them. Hmm. Was that something that you could uh, compare to, like juxtaposed to the whatever is coming out of the moon? Like, is there a stark difference there? Have you ever looked at the Pleiades? Oh, yeah. Oh, totally different. No, it's a different station altogether. No, there's so many stories down here. I mean, pick up a book, listen to a podcast, and they're going to vary in every which way. So they're all opinions, of course. Um, but no, they're they're definitely different. So then I'm just that guy. Again, everything's just my perspective, as each of ours are. Um, when I get to do my woo-woo perceiving, as I'll just, you know, chocolatey call it, uh, it's there's distinct differences, and some of it just straight up makes me nauseous. Um, it, it just depends. I'm not talking about Pleiadians, but I'm about the moon stuff. Uh, my ears ringing right now when I do that too, which always tells me there's, you know, kind of more to the story. Uh, and I've got my own visuals I've had when I was a correctional officer for 16 years on graveyard shift of stuff coming in. And I'd sat there, I didn't have any high end uh, telescopes with me or anything, but I had binoculars and then, of course, just sight. And I saw all kinds of oddities um, in and around. And I do have telescopes as well, but. If for those circumstances, I didn't, but it was, yeah, some stuff that you just can't explain. And then as my perceptions heightened over the years, I'm actually going decades back, and I let's be blunt, got more psychic and, and intuitive and perceived on different levels. Um, it's kind of like, you know, when somebody thinks they're tasting their food, they're not just tasting food, they're smelling it, they're feeling it. It's hit on many perception levels. And it's, that heightened for me, my push away from it was more and more. Um, and I think that ties into something maybe Adam was alluding to about, as you mentioned, the, I don't remember the word exactly, but the catastrophes that have happened and how, and of course you can extrapolate out from there, the moon could have done, could, you know, probably had a huge effect on a whole lot of those things, if not the sole instigator. So. Well, and that's one of the things that NASA originally was, in my opinion, going to the moon to look for and found. Uh, there are some pretty cryptic things that they were saying, talking about the geology. Uh, just, you know, look at some of the original Apollo patches having, you know, uh, you know, uh, the four horsemen uh, flying on it. It's called the Apollo missions going to the moon. And they went and found these massive amounts of these um, uh, spherules, these black spherules, um, things that would only be produced in which if you had like a, a solar micronova event impacting a place in which it retains history an impact a crater stays for you know hundreds of thousands and millions of years this stuff was still there and found so i'm i'm highly fascinated uh by that angle um i, I wanted to also kick back too to what you were saying bill because they also talked about mars and going to mars and you know how they're going to collect these tubules and all this and to me Mars is almost the biggest joke. I, I shared in the chat here, and, and people may remember in the past, the Mars crab that was seen on uh, Mars. They had a very high-res image. They put out, somebody zooms in and goes, hey, there's this thing that looks like this weird crab. And I look at it and they go, that looks like a weird crab. And you can put these in the show notes, Bill. I uploaded them in the uh, into the, the Zoom here. Um, it looks like a crab from a distance. And to me, I go, okay, well, why don't we drive over to that and look? Because I also included into here um, some images that I found online 
um, of showing petrified crabs that have been found on Earth in the Earth's oceans. And I'm like, so we have real crabs that look real, that are petrified. We're driving by in what we're talking about, ancient, you know, places that have had uh, water that we're now talking about. And then you just, there's this thing that you could look at and you don't go over there. And those are the giant things that I, I go as a scientist. It, it makes no sense. And, you know, to me, I don't want to say conspiracy, but the Viking lander landed had instrumentation to detect a life and got a positive reaction. And then he said, Oh no, 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 no. Um, it, it, it was due to some sort of chemical reaction with the soil. So I just want him to send a Petri dish up there in a camera and see what happens. Cause I'm guessing something's going to grow. Yeah, I do. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of, I think a lot of disclosure in science fiction. One movie comes to mind made in 1991 called Plymouth, and it's about a entire, I, I watched it a while ago, but if I remember correctly, it's about an entire village or town, and, you know, the mayor and everybody, right, they have to go up to the moon because, I don't know why, uh, but it's all based on meritocracy, and the uh, Lockheed Martin actually did uh, production advising. For, for this movie and the, the budget for this thing was insane, right? An insane amount of money was spent making this movie. And uh, it depicts, um, you know, them living life on this, this lunar base and how they have to lock down whenever a solar storm comes. And uh, the, the, the point, I think the main point behind that movie was to kind of illustrate what a meritocracy would look like in a, a space colony uh, because the, the mayor had to retire or he died or something and the next person in line had to be kind of convinced to to step up and take the leadership role right because he was the best person for the job he not you know he didn't necessarily want it so there's kind of like an aspect of pluto's uh, republic like a philosopher king type thing so that, that kind of that kind of struck me but yeah uh have you guys ever seen that movie plymouth no but i can't add on to that uh, the movie that came out with, uh, what was the guy from what's eating Gilbert grape? Um, not Ben Affleck, but the other guy, um, Matt Damon, Matt Damon. He did a, he did a movie called Mars. And when that movie came out, it was in promotion of the fact that they had found these new streaks that were coming out from the planet that they said, Oh, look, this is showing actual evidence that there's water coming out in the spectrum of this actually looks like it might be in the same that we would expect to see of bacteria. This is highly interesting. Well, what blows my mind is that was all done in a promotion for a movie through NASA, but Ephraim Palermo, who I believe was the first guest on the Grimerica show podcast, he was one of my original guests on my old podcast friends to know. He discovered using NASA images from a previous orbiter um, not the the one in which they did the movie or when they promoted with the movie and used that as the information. And he submitted to them a paper on this and um, they rejected it. Essentially, he made that discovery for them using images that they already had brought to their attention. I forget who the gentleman was, but there was a gentleman at NASA at the time um, uh, that made sure that that got brought to their attention um, and it, it fell to the wayside. And. I don't know. I find stuff like that fascinating, especially because Ephraim Palermo, the same guy, is also the person who discovered the monolith 
on, and that's what they call it, a monolith on Phobos, one of the moons of Mars. And I included that image here in the chat as well. Um, it's this several hundred foot high square structure on the on the surface of Phobos that uh, geologically sticks out. It's like nothing else out there that we've ever photographed. Um, but what I find is even more interesting is I also included in here, we're going down my rabbit holes here. Sorry, Bill. No, oh, I love it. Um, I, I forget the name of the, the, I have to look up the name of the, um, the, oh, it was Phobos 1 and Phobos 2, I believe it was called. Uh, the Russians sent out a set of probes to Mars um, to do photo reconnaissance. One of them was impacted. And the last images it had was showing this gigantic cylinder shape. And I included here the last photo of this. And this thing was kilometers in length, an object that shows up and hits this thing and impacts it. And to think that there are things out there that are that gigantic, that massive, that moving around, um, and then that information gets stifled. Let's see, how big was the Phobos 1 and 2 image? Have you read the Terra papers? While you're looking that up, I'm going to ask you another question. So yes, no, I haven't. Up. Okay. I'll send you a PDF. It's got to, it doesn't talk about the moon specifically, I don't believe. I read it in an afternoon, but I'd have to double check. But it, it, uh, it does mention a couple of Death Stars, which I find very, very interesting. I mean, it's where George Lucas got the idea for Star Wars, was the Terra papers. But did you find the thing you were looking for? I'm seeing if I can't find it up now. Okay. Yeah. Definitely uh, something worth checking out if uh, just for a little entertainment, if nothing else. The Terra Papers was written by Robert Morningstar, and he got the story from allegedly from his grandfather who got it from a crashed uh, entity on this planet. So it, uh, it's very, it reads like an epic, right? It's, it's pretty, pretty cool. Cannot attach PDFs to the show notes i don't believe otherwise i would but uh i'll throw it in the telegram if anybody wants to check it out so yeah a lot of moon talk uh one more thing before we move on to the next moon story uh there's a there's been a theme in the media recently and this uh, Audrey person mentions it about pushing back in time, uh, the the age of things, right? The everything seems to be uh, getting older for some reason, and all of a sudden it's you know acceptable that maybe humans were coexisting with giants and things of this nature because they did certainly uh, exist with giant sloths. But that's that's another story. I'm jumping ahead. Graham Hancock always says things just keep getting older. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, you can definitely see it happening in the media as we speak. But uh, yeah, feel free to uh, jump back in whenever, Adam, if you want to. With that Mars. Or you were looking for. But... I was still. I still haven't found how big it was, but it was oh. in the kilometers in size. It was a a massive something that hit it. And again, one of the many, many mysteries of Mars. 
Yeah, Mars is is also uh, also addressed in the Terra papers, I believe. But uh, this next one has to do with the moon, but it's about a heat-emitting blob on the far side of the moon. Uh, this is from LiveScience.com. Uh, again, second article from these guys. Pop that in the chat. Scientists have discovered an anomalous blob of heat on the far side of the moon. This mysterious blob, or hotspot, has a strange origin. It's likely caused by the natural radiation emanating from a huge buried mass of granite, which is rarely found in large quantities outside of Earth, according to new research. On the moon, a dead volcano that hasn't erupted in 3.5 billion years is likely the source of this unusual hunk of granite. This is more Earth-like than we had imagined can be produced on the moon, which lacks the water and plate tectonics that help granites form on Earth. Lead study author Matt Seigler of the Planetary Science Institute in Tucson, Arizona, said in a statement. It's a short article. Uh, Seigler and his colleague Rita Okonobos of Southern Methodist University discovered the heat with a new method of using microwaves to measure subsurface temperatures via the Chinese lunar orbiters Chang'e 1 and 2. They also used data from NASA's Lunar Prospector and Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiters. What they found was an area about 31 miles across where the temperature is about 18 degrees Fahrenheit, 10 degrees Celsius, warmer than the surroundings. This region was below a 12.4 mile or 20 kilometer diameter spot on the surface, which is rich in silicone. And that is thought to be a collapsed volcanic crater. The dead volcano last erupted 3.5 billion years ago, billion years ago. But magma from its plumbing system is still likely sitting below the surface, giving off radiation. This find is a 50-kilometer-wide batholith. A batholith is a type of volcanic rock that forms when lava rises into the Earth's crust but does not erupt onto the surface, Economos said in a statement. El Capitan and Half Dome in Yosemite in California are great examples of granite rocks which have risen to the surface. The researchers reported their initial findings in the journal Nature on July 5th and presented additional details July 12th at some conference in France. And the findings are incredibly interesting. Stephen M. Elorado, a geochemist at the University of Florida who was not involved in the study, said in a statement, this website likes to interview people that aren't involved in these studies they're covering. Interesting. Uh, granite is extremely common on Earth, but not elsewhere in the solar system, added Elrado. People don't think twice about having a granite countertop in the kitchen, he said, but geologically speaking, it's quite hard to make granite without water and plate tectonics, which is why we really don't see that type of rock on other planets. So, if this finding by Siegler and his colleagues holds up, it's going to be massively important for how we think about the internal workings of other rocky bodies in the solar system. Well, and also hitting on nature and our planet, 
you know, missing 411, Boulder Fields, Granite Boulder Fields, the highest number of people going missing in areas seems to be related to the granite content in the wilderness that they are missing in. Uh, there are some ma amazing piezo electric, you know, lightning effects. You can certainly see it in the ionization of airflows, um, you know, over uh, uh, fault lines uh, in areas where you have this piezoelectric happening. So, yeah, it's it's an absolutely fascinating structure to see that up there on the moon, a giant, a giant uh, heat emitting crystal. Yeah, especially when that needs water to form. Like, if there's not water there already, then there was at one point. At least we could say that. From well, wait, didn't I? I don't know where everybody lands on this as far as the scientists nowadays. But do, is it still a theory where the moons are broken off piece of Earth. Yeah, yeah, that was the the theory put forth in the the last one. It smashed out of out of Earth. Yet it doesn't have plate tectonics like the Earth does, which doesn't make any sense to me either. That was I didn't put yeah. Yeah, look, the we, the moon doesn't make sense, and even in any of the the descriptions of how it is coming to creation, it's not like they created a model and the computer model ran through and showed this. It it's how okay, here's where we are. How did this happen? So you know, we're far from being able to say that yeah, the moon was formed by a natural process. Yeah, I think, but yeah, I'm not yeah, saying it was an unnatural process. I'm just saying that you know. I just don't think they know enough to know. And it just randomly <laughs> stays in alignment with us. Yeah. No, I don't. Uh... I just want to know the emperor of Earth that put his face up there. Man in the moon. Yeah. Probably Emperor Ming. Ming. Flash you know, We talked about that the other episode. Anyway. Um, yeah. The, uh, the thing about granite countertops was kind of interesting like i didn't know that we're using a super rare uh rock in the solar system to do our food prep on well, kind of cool generally rare <laughs> you know right yeah it, well and that is interesting right yeah it's it's rare to us and maybe that's why a story like uh you know a, a bob lazar that element 115 is the key to it it's not stable here well, what if it was stable somewhere? What if there was a natural process? What if they found an abundance of this? And you didn't need to have the Industrial Revolution. You didn't need to find oils or things to burn. You just had this amazing uh, medium that would uh, allow you to directly harness gravity waves. Which is still a theory, by the way. Gravity. Everything's a theory. Theory of gravity. Right. Look, the world is the way it is. Everything else is just a description, a story about how we believe the world works. It's a map. It's an overlay. It was different 100 years ago. It was different 1,000 years ago. And it's going to be different in another 100 years. I mean, hell, if we found, uh, you know, could go back in time and unburn the, the great library of Alexandria, we would have a different, a different story of the world today. Unburn the library is kind of cool. Kind of like a band name, but that's what I'm going back to do when I get my time machine, right? So, but yeah, I don't, uh, I do not agree with what the the current accepted view of what the moon is and how it got there. Although I will listen, right? But uh, what is your your opinion, Derek? Is it uh, artificial? Is it put there? That's kind of what I'm leaning towards. Oh, I don't, and I won't. 
I guess it it's been manipulated since it got there. We I put it that way. So whether it was placed there, you know, let's go with the theory that it was, you know, broken off from the earth, you know, hence the granite and this, that and the other, that's fine. But either way, it's been manipulated since and or still is. So uh, and then there's there's guys and I'm just saying guys loosely just, um, have fun with it inside as well. There's there's entities there. Um, lots of different types, I believe. So it's not a it's not an abandoned thing. There's stuff going on, of course, like we were talking about earlier. It's I mean, you're not seeing the dark side of the moon for a reason. Uh, why? We we've thrown satellites all over this solar system already. What we can't turn around and take a look at the backside and shine a light on it. I mean, there's just That's what I'm saying. I mean, it's just a joke. I mean, and most well, people if you listen to if you listen to Ingo Swan, one of the um, uh, most famous remote viewers, they remote viewed the moon and they found entities and they uh, found. Uh, so, yeah, uh, I'm I'm completely open to the idea that there is. I mean, who knows? Maybe it's just a monitoring station. And, and truthfully, here's the reason why I think we have gone back to the moon from a very pragmatic standpoint. If I have the ability to go into space and I'm the U.S. military, what is the ultimate platform? It's the moon for uh, defense or, you know, for attack. And then knowing what we know about UAP, UFO, had my own experiences, seen my own things in the sky that don't make sense. And if you have threats that are coming from outside inward, then you need a platform that's always looking outward. And it seems like just from a strategic standpoint, uh, we would have have to have some sort of base on the moon. And if we don't, where's our money going? <laughs> I don't think just us. I think a whole lot of uh, groups probably have things. Oh, yeah. On the moon. I mean, yeah, there's no there's no logical excuse for it to be still not shown to us or or fake images or something like that. And last time I checked, so the backside of the moon of the far well, the sun goes behind it. I mean, how is it not lit at times? I mean, it just it doesn't matter anyway. You could artificial light, it's called. It was invented some time ago. Yeah, there's there's a lot going on up there. Even uh, well, that's how Crow Triple Seven got got uh, his start as far as um that, you know, recording the moon. There's a whole movie on that. So you've seen a uh, a glitch in the high def video that's being recorded that that you know there's a lot going on in there. there's a whole like and they said, call it like the uh the lunar wave yeah there you go mm -hmm. and even so and oh yeah i've heard different descriptions of who's on there what's going on this that and the other and yeah i mean when somebody remotes it you pick up on stuff um, yeah and not even that and i don't have the images here on my computer but there are what look like track marks on parts of the moon there's also boulders seen in images that progress and move, uh, but oddly, not like on Earth where you see boulders that will move themselves over uh, flats where uh, the freezing and warming will cause something to slide. These things are moving up hills. And so there's just some really, really incredibly odd anomalies that on their on the surface of looking at them, like we should go look at that. There's a piece of geology moving on the surface. Why don't we land next to that? So what is that? There, there's, I know I've been interested in this topic. I think we all have for a while now. And uh, the the whole fake moon landing thing is, is something that I've been grappling with for a number of years, on and off, right? And that's nothing I'm obsessing over. But 
I have a, a theory, and it's not not nothing spectacular or new, but what I think happened is is the uh, we did we did go right, but we weren't shown the footage. The footage I think was made in a, in a Hollywood basement. But no, I think I think that would be accurate, and it, as controversial as it is to say, Bill, there are some incontrovertible facts, and in fact, I do have an image I can share here, and I forget the astronaut's name. But it's an image showing where they said he was in space, but he was actually in training gear. And all they did is reverse the images and blacked out the background and put in stars. So there is at least one case in which NASA has photoshopped, you know, before Photoshop uh, was a thing, um, you know, took out, uh, you know, modified their images. I think the the biggest evidence is, for one, You've probably seen the classic image of the lunar module blasting off the planet. And I have one question. How are we broadcasting that back to Earth with a camera um, that was left on the planet? Um, secondly, the guy who designed the camera systems for use on the planet when they came back, the formats that they were in, he's like, that is not the camera that I sent unless they were to have taken what was recorded there projected it onto, you know, some sort of thing and then re-recorded it onto a different, uh, a different format. Uh, but the third and final thing for me that, that really, that, that made me go down the rabbit hole is if you look at the, um, the Apollo, the, uh, when the, the Apollo astronauts first came back from, from the moon and they're all sitting there being interviewed by the press and they're asked about like, did you see the stars? And they're looking at each other. Like, how do I answer this question? There's literal like nudges. Uh, it's it's creepy. It's weird. They're clearly obfuscating something. So the question becomes, you know, uh, twofold. Did you go? Um, or, and, and the answer is no. Or did you go and it was something so crazy or so unexplainable that you were forbode from telling it? Um, I, I don't know what the answer is, but there's something weird there. And if you just look at it from a human behavior uh, standpoint, I, I can get you that link bill to that too, if you want for the show notes um, to share with everybody. But I implore people to look at that because if you're interested in human behavior at all, um, you know, with my history and doing interrogations, to me, um, it speaks more than than any of the other evidence out there. Isn't there also an account from one of the astronauts that said they got up there and outside of the spacecraft, they're they're on the surface and they're looking out over a crater. They see like the craft. There's three huge craft monitoring them. And yeah, were, one of the astronauts, uh, several astronauts have talked about seeing craft. Yeah, so they were, and basically they were told that they weren't allowed to be there. Like they weren't welcome. Or they were shooed, shooed away. They were shooed off the moon. And this this would go to explain why you know, we it's have the Stanley have Kubrick. And if you really want to get creepy on this, you know, the, the thought is that Stanley Kubrick was, uh, you know, had a studio that was used for filming all the moon stuff. And then he has 2001 A Space Odyssey, which is essentially that, you know, once you get to the books 2030 and 2060, I forget which one it is. Um, but essentially, you've got, uh, you know, the species saying you are not allowed to go to Jupiter. You're not you're not allowed up here. This is not your place. Yeah, so that the 
it's just it's it's interesting to look at that in light of why we haven't been back or why nobody's been back right like one of our biggest uh competitors in this race right if you want to call it that is china right who who i mean obviously huge rivals like why aren't they trying to get up to the moon and and weaponize it or 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 whatever right maybe they have we don't know about it right but the the point is uh trying they have the they do not like being humiliated they don't that's that's the worst thing that could ever happen right so they're not going to risk to go going back to the moon because they know what happened to us and unless they get you know permission or have already acquired permission right we don't i don't know maybe derek can I just shared a link and supposedly, so it says here, uh, Chinese spacecraft has already landed on the far side and sends pictures back. Um, that was 2019. I shared it in the uh, chat. I should probably put it in the, uh, or in the website chat. There's um, no people on the, right? Yeah, we got, we got lander going to later this year as well. Um, there's in our, our chat now too. No, no people, but they're saying they sent photos back. You know, they can say all they want, you know, Photoshop, whatever. I, I'm trying to see if there's any skimming through the photos really quickly. If they're, well, there was maybe one. I don't know. They say it's the first close-ups of the surface of the far side. And again, like Adam, I was saying, why? And it's in Chinese. I need to translate, apparently. Um, I'm going to do that now. Yeah, there's a, well, they're showing a big crater. So, yeah, they're showing some images here. I'll I'll get that link shared as well but we didn't have to wait till now to have this shared the images that is and it's in our notes now through the chat room thank you yeah that is uh um speaking of people on the moon derek when in your perceptions and experiences would you I, i would i would posit that there are people up there right now right so would you have you come across anything that would con- confirm that or validate that at all well you know anything in the the realm i work nothing's really confirmable of course i don't ever really care about that to be honest because my my realities i'm i see all kinds of things so i'll just be blunt like i usually am yes there's all kinds of different different entities up there groups and yes humans are some of them and there's there's different ones um i've seen i don't know I don't even like using the terms I hear on the internet because they'll call them and they'll they'll call these groups a name by how they look so that I don't I, I kind of try and avoid doing that so there's different races up there I'll put it that way um and humans are definitely one of them so I was like Adam was saying too about the uh secret space program and all of that absolute uh believer or understander of that um that happens and I don't remember that craft either there's several of them though. There's been verified, I think, seven at any one time of the black triangle. And I'm not talking about the what are they T71s or 72s or something or other. The whole other ones that are just kind of holding place up there and and you know I don't want to say what they're doing because you know who really knows, but they're up there and they've been up there for and known about for decades, as far as I know. I think they're like black triangles or something like that. Yeah, the TR3Bs. Yeah. Okay. Is that? Oh, well, that's our our craft. Yeah. But no, there's other ones, and again, they probably have lots of names. Um, but they're stationary, and they can be, you know, googled and and talked about. There's been images of it. So yeah, that was that was my uh. To I wanted to differentiate like there are like humans like as we would understand them like 
Or oh, yeah. There's Earth, and then, and then, right. And then other well, ETs. Yeah, I don't know what it's called. I mean, I've heard the term lots of different ways. Again, go to one podcaster calls it this, this, this group or this collective or federation. And you know, I'm not dissing anything or anything. I'm just saying there's there's so many ways of describing things. So that's why I kind of stay vague and zoom out. I'm like, so when I perceive it, I don't have any background story with me that I align with. It just I don't I chose to go in there blind, I'll just say when I do any of this stuff. I'm like, oh. Well, we didn't know there's a human there. I didn't know that. And then I look and there's other entities. And I'm like, you're kind of big. And, you know, it just goes from there. I, it's like going at a meal in a different country. I'm like, well, put the tray in front of me. And, you know, we'll experience it. And it is what it is. Just don't tell me that there's this group or that group or whatever one. Because um, they're all stories to me anyway. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot going on. It there's... is not an abandoned thing at all. It's emitting energies down here and i wasn't asking this but that's a thing and, and i think everybody knows that not just the the energy you know that affect the waves and everything else it's there's straight up frequencies coming off of it and they're being manipulated now who what where why i don't know but it happens and in fact what i'm picking up on right now when i'm even saying that um it gives me my confirmation so it's yeah again a lot lots going on i think yeah so humans and non-humans and that okay. it's, it's interesting that you mentioned how different people describe the other types of entities in the in the Terra papers. There's absolutely said that uh, we think of you know animal plus humanoid. So there's there's a race of or you know a group of entities or beings like fish people, and then there's mantis people, and then there's reptile people. There's like a bird people. Like there's people for every type of like animal or life form. That we could, that we could think of, according at least according to, to Robert Morningstar, which I mean, it wouldn't surprise me because the the human body, you know, built with the phi ratio, you know, is is very efficient, and for it to be used as a template uh, for other entities isn't too far off. No, I mean, look at evolution on Earth. You have species that disappear, become extinct. The habitat comes back and they re-evolve from other species. So they are the same, but a little bit different. It it kind of makes sense that, you know, if this body type and that that thing works and you have birds and you have humans, surely there's an environment out there in which the biology would fill that void. Absolutely. Speaking of biologies and other entities. This next story has to do with the, the giant sloth that I mentioned earlier. Awesome. Put that in the chat here. This is by the SmithsonianMag.com. So we're getting away from the live science people who like to interview other people who have nothing to do with the story they're talking about. Anyway, uh, humans may have arrived in the Americas earlier than previously thought. About 30 years ago, three artifacts made from the bones of giant sloths were unearthed in Brazil, and until recently, they hadn't been studied extensively. Now, researchers say that the bones are pendants. Humans likely polished them and drilled small holes into them, intending to wear them as prehistoric fashion accessories, according to a study published this week in the journal Proceedings of the Royal Society. Dating between 25,000 and 27,000 years ago, 
The pendants are the oldest known personal ornaments unearthed in the Americas, reports CNN's Kate Hunt. They also support the theory that humans inhabited South America far earlier than previously thought. There's that line of pushing back the age of everything again. We now have good evidence, together with other sites from South and North America, that we have to rethink our ideas about the migration of humans to the Americas, says study co-author Miriam Lisa Alves Forancelli Pachiao, an archaeologist at the Federal University of Sao in Brazil. She said that to somebody in the Associated Press. Uh, based on markings on the sloth bones, scientists concluded that humans, rather than other animals, likely, very likely drilled the holes into the bones. Additionally, the new research suggests that they crafted the pendants soon after the sloths died, which meant that the humans and sloths coexisted. At 10 to 13 feet long, giant sloths weighed over a thousand their bodies were protected by armadillo-like plates under their fur, and it was these plates that humans drilled holes into, as if they had been designed to be threaded on a string, says Paccio to the New York Times. For many decades, scientists thought that humans reached the Americas via a land bridge between Russia and Alaska around 15,000 years ago. Now, the new study joins a growing body of work that suggests an earlier arrival date. In 2021, for example, researchers announced that they had found fossilized human footprints in New Mexico that were between 21,000 and 23,000 years old. The new study moves that timeline even earlier. The timeline is constantly debated, and some scientists dispute the dates connected to certain finds, per the AP. But lead author Thanis Pansani, a paleontologist at the Federal University of Sao Carlos, is optimistic, telling live science that many sites in South America have yet to be studied. We believe that there should be more evidence waiting to be found in the rock shelters and caves in Brazil in places little or not explored. Many other researchers are also optimistic about the new study and what its findings might mean. This is a really significant study because it adds to a growing body of data on the antiquity of human occupation in the Americas. Uh, it also shows the importance of personal ornaments. So we've been accessorizing for a long time with, with giant bones, bones of giants. It reminds me of a Neville Goddard reading that I did not pick out for our sword segment, but yeah, giant uh, giant sloths. Can you imagine coming up to something that's a thousand pounds and thirteen feet long and saying, "I'm going to make jewelry out of that"? I wonder if they they ate them or something like that. I don't know. Different type of human beings, Bill. Now everything comes wrapped in plastic. I did find out a very fun little synchronicity, though. Apparently, 54 years ago today, the splashdown of Apollo 11 occurred. Hey. Just saw that on John Greenwald's uh, post. Uh, apparently, Buzz Aldrin posted it 10 hours ago. I met the man. I've got a picture with him. What a coincidence. Hey, Bill. 
It is neat. The uh, Apollo is the sun god coming back down from the moon. It's interesting. Esoterically. Mm-hmm. Why is that? Why, why did we call it the Apollo missions? Were we going there for evidence on the sun? That's what I think. Yes. So that, uh, that pretty much wraps up the silver segment. And uh, not a whole lot of uh, uh, down, I mean, news about the moon. Um, oftentimes in the media, we often are bombarded with the negative stories. And just as a reminder to everybody that this too shall pass and uh, to pick out the silver lining whenever you can. And this helps us to keep things in perspective. And uh, I hope you found this segment somewhat enlightening. Hopefully you learned something new. And uh, hopefully there weren't stories that everybody else is talking about because there are plenty of other great podcasts that cover uh, the the more mainstream things. And this brings us to the, the new revamped, second revamped segment in a row is the sword segment. And I was thinking about this. So it kind of makes sense that we started this thing in spring, right? So things are just starting to grow. And I had a rough outline of the show, didn't really have, uh, you know, wasn't fine-tuned yet. But as we're getting into the heights of summer, it is becoming more evolved and uh, more refined, just like uh, the power of the sun, even though we're past the, the, the uh, solstice. Uh, we're coming up on the dog days of summer, right? So it's still uh, uh, a season in which things are in full full force, at least up here in the northern hemisphere. So yeah, sword the sword segment, another another rebranded segment. And uh, like I said before, I was kind of uh, I've been I reengaged my my tarot deck, right? So I've been doing a card a day. It's actually two cards. So they can have a conversation with each other. And it's just nice to have something to think about during the day when you don't have anything else to, to occupy your mind. You can remember what you, what you drew and try to find correlations throughout the day and find little messages maybe or, or synchronicities and whatnot. But uh, the, uh, the sword suit is a, a suit in, in some of the decks. And the sword signifies air, which is correlated to thinking. And uh, to tie this back to the Four Agreements by Don Miguel, uh, being impeccable with our word, right? And uh, in order to be impeccable with our word, word, excuse me, it starts with us. Like it starts with our thoughts and the conversations that we have with ourselves, the stories that we tell ourselves. So in order to be impeccable with our words, we must be impeccable with our thoughts. And that is really hard to do. <laughs> so. That's kind of uh, what the point of this segment is, is to kind of help people, to empower people, to to uh, realize that they are capable of many, many great things. And there are a few authors that I have just fallen in love with over the last few years. And I found a lot of inspiration in them, and I would uh, like to share one of them right now. I'm going to turn a light on, though, because it's darker now. As I mentioned before, this is Neville Goddard. 
and the chapter is called Desire. It's super short, uh, maybe a page and a half, so it won't be very long. And I've been doing this, uh, the Wim Hof breathing exercises to see if I can not get so short-winded during these, these readings. So we'll see if that's been paying off or not. Anyway, uh, Desire from the Power of Awareness, published in 1952 by Neville Goddard. The changes which take place in your life as a, re as a result of your changed concept of yourself always appear to the unenlightened to be the result not of a change in your consciousness, but of chance, outer cause, or coincidence. However, the only fate governing your life is the fate determined by your own concepts, your own assumptions. For an assumption, although false, if persisted in, will harden into fact. The ideal you seek and hope to attain will not manifest itself, will not be realized by you until you have imagined that you are or that you are already that ideal. There is no escape. Sorry, there is no escape for you, except by a radical psychological transformation of yourself, except by your assumption of the feeling of your wish fulfilled. Therefore, make results or accomplishments the crucial test of your ability to use your imagination. Everything depends on your attitude towards yourself. That which you, excuse me, that which you will not affirm as true of yourself can never be realized by you, for that attitude alone is the necessary condition by which you realize your goal. All transformation is based upon suggestion, and this can work only where you lay yourself completely open to an influence. You must abandon yourself to your ideal as a woman abandons herself to love. For a complete abandonment of self to it, love, is the way to union with your ideal. You must assume the feeling of the wish fulfilled until your assumption has all the sensory vividness of reality. You must imagine that you are already experiencing what you desire. That is, you must assume the feeling of the fulfillment of your, of your desire until you are possessed by it and this feeling crowds all the other ideas out of your consciousness. The man who is not prepared for the conscious plunge into the assumption of the wish fulfilled in the faith that it is, that it is the only way to the realization of his dream is not yet ready to live consciously by the law of assumption, although there is no doubt that he does live by the law of assumption unconsciously. But for you, who accept this principle and are ready to live by excuse me getting winded but for you who accept this principle and are ready to live by consciously assuming that your wish is already fulfilled the adventure of life begins to reach a higher level level of being you must assume a higher concept of yourself if you will not imagine yourself as other than what you are, then you remain as you are. For if ye believe not in me, or in he, excuse me, I'm butchering this Bible verse, for if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. John chapter 8 verse 42. If you do not believe that you are he, the person you want to be, then you remain as you are.
through the faithful systematic cultivation of the feeling of the wish fulfilled desire becomes the promise of its own fulfillment the assumption of the feeling of the wish fulfilled makes the future dream a present fact so a lot of talk about assumptions in in this little excerpt which i find very interesting uh, just coming out of Don Miguel's work, where we're told not to make assumptions, right? <laughs> but uh, I think we can we can kind of juxta or, uh, uh, differentiate the two by saying that uh, I think Don is talking about uh, making assumptions uh, about you know other other people, right? We're not and not asking questions to get clarification, right? What what Neville is talking about is is meeting your goal right and assuming that your goal is already attained which is something that vadim zealand and reality transurfing also talks about so what did you guys what do you guys think about uh, desire and assumption and how desire is pretty much the seed of of uh it contains you know within itself its its end <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, the desire can, of course, guide you or, or direct, um, yeah, what you what you perceive the outcome to be. That said, that was there's a lot said in there. I'll say that too. Especially, I like the part about the synchronicities, like you mentioned. Yeah, yeah, that's what the uh, he was saying. The uninitiated, the uninitiated, uh, the uh, the people who don't think like this, uh, will will see those these these happenings in your life is just mere coincidence right but for those of us who know that you know coincidence doesn't really exist it's it's it, there are synchronicities right everything happens for a reason we can see that uh, the reason is because you you thought it into being right according to to neville anyway and i would tend to agree with him but uh yeah I... super go ahead please it's called manifesting, of course, you know, lots of ways of describing it, but no, I agree. I think the more, at least I, I find, the more I pay attention to that stuff, the coincidences, the synchronicities, the breadcrumbs in life, um, the more they happen. And then the more you realize, you know, you you can set them up for yourself as well. And so that's that's when it gets really interesting. Yeah, taking the plunging consciously into into the you know the driving force of whatever you're trying to do right as opposed to unconsciously which is you know this 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 is a uh, a hermetic alchemical law i would say that affects everybody whether they realize it or not right our thoughts are very very powerful and they can have you know very good effects or very harmful effects but uh this talks about our becoming our highest self right to reach a higher level of being you must assume a higher level or a higher concept of yourself so there is uh, using yourself as as a uh, oh this is gonna sound weird as a, a model for perfection but not yourself now right like your your highest self is is more along the lines here i think and uh, that's actually a a deathbed meditation uh, developed not developed but the first time i heard of it was saint ignatius of loyola and he is the founder of the jesuits which is a very interesting topic to get into in and of itself but uh, the point of the meditation was to imagine yourself on 
your deathbed and then look back to your current self and see if you're happy with what he's doing because if there's something not going not clicking there then you've got some work to do it was the idea right i don't know how i got onto that subject but uh yep yeah he throws in another good a good bible verse and uh as as uh neville is wants to do during uh, a lot of his writings uh, with the bible viewing the bible as a psychological book right we we replace you know the he the capital h e in in john 8:24 with that highest self right that person that you want to be which hopefully is somebody good and the best version you know like the army be all you can be Is that where they got that from? I wonder the uh, the slogan. Are they tapping into positive thinking culture? Yeah, that is. I don't know if that's still the slogan or not, but it was when I joined the army. Yeah, I don't think it is. But uh, yeah, that's about all I got, Adam. Did you have any any things go off in your head when I was reading that at all? Not particularly, no. Well, uh, there will be plenty more from, from Neville in the future. I don't really have any uh, big projects to delve into like we did with the Four Agreements and the Celestine Insights. But uh, I enjoy Neville. Maybe we'll do some Charles Hanel. That's a lot more wordy. I've been talking about that a lot now. I should probably just do it next time. Um, but please, please, everybody, please do not forget to sign up for your free scalar energy session this week at mysticalwares.com i have already done so this week we are doing relieve or release anxiety and stress so head on over to mysticalwares.com look for the scalar energy section and uh, complete the checkout process but because it's free you're not actually paying anything this is just to get your uh, name in the bucket right eric yeah, absolutely. There's no charge for that. It's a free scalar wave energy. We do have a page for that on the website where people can learn more and kind of because it's a, you know, it's like a lot of things. It, it's a lot to wrap your head around, especially if it's something new you haven't heard before. Um, but yeah, it's interesting. We do offer those for free. So definitely check that out. I'll put a link in the show notes for ease of access. And speaking of the show, I have not been asking for anybody to share it, but I would love if you guys could uh, share it with your friends and family, somebody that you love, somebody that you uh, want to send a little gratitude towards, or, uh, you know, just uh, just share the show, because even if you hate the show, oh, that, that's for rating, I'm sorry. Yeah, so share the show, but definitely, if you haven't yet, rate the show on whatever platform you're on, even if you don't like it, uh, let's get some ratings in there so we can uh, spread the love even even more. Right, that's the whole idea here. And until next time, Chrononauts, Carpe Diem. <laughs>